The number one asset any entrepreneur has is not the money in the bank, is not their team, is not their product, is not their family. I'd even be so bold to say it's not even their faith. It's themselves. That is the number one asset because if your business goes away, but you still got yourself, you can still come back. You could resuscitate the business. You could start a different business. You could go a different direction. You still got yourself. On the other hand, if you go away, your business probably is not going to continue. You are the source. And we need to do whatever we have to, to ensure that you as the entrepreneur are able to stay in the game. Maybe you take a few hits, maybe you're a little bloody, maybe you're a little weary, but as long as you can stay in the game, things will be okay. You know, this too shall pass as the famous quote goes. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have a very special guest. His name is Tim Francis. He's the founder of a company called Great Assistant and also Profit Factory. I know Tim personally for a number of years now. He's studied under some of the same direct marketing people that I've studied under. And I worked with Tim. I have one of his great assistants worked out very well. She's been with me for years now, maybe five years, long time. I worked with Tim in other capacities where he's helped me with, you know, my company's financials, but advice in many, many areas. So um, I wanted him on the podcast for several reasons. One is recently, as everyone may know, as recession is either here or coming, things appear to be worsening, you know, economically for many, many small businesses. And Tim is no different from anyone else. You know, he's been struggling with dealing with the economy and the recession. And I think because of Tim's brilliance with financials, that he's going to have some great insights for listeners on what they can do to mitigate the effects of recession on their business. So we're going to talk about uh, those kinds of things. And we're going to also mention his great assistant program, which I, again, I'm a client. It's like that old hair club for men thing where, you know, not only am I going bald, but I use the product myself. So welcome, Tim, to the podcast. Thank you. Rich, you are always a delight. Thank you so much for that glowing intro. I can't wait to chat with you today. Tell listeners first just a little bit about your background, like how you came to create Great Assistant and Profit Factory and what those entities do today. I've wanted to be a top 1% something in my lifetime for a long time. And I drank a lot of the Get Rich Kool-Aid when I was in my 20s. I lost 200 grand in the 08 crash, which was eye-opening and very painful. Around that time, believe it or not, I was actually a touring drummer and my band broke up 20 minutes before going on stage at the Western Canadian Music Awards. So that was heartbreaking. And I also had a mentor who ended up being one of the lead promoters of a $12 million Ponzi scheme uh, where his business partner was convicted in court, given a $225,000 fine, barred from holding securities for 25 years and fled the country. So it was a very stressful and exhausting time. So stressful, in fact, that I developed an illness called erythema nodosum, which meant that there was swelling that went from my ankles up to my legs, into my hips, my elbows. And it was so painful that I could no longer walk and I, I couldn't even stand. I had a point where I had to choose between my mom either giving me a sponge bath in bed or sitting on a little stool inside of the shower to bathe myself. So at age 28, there I was. I was a former varsity athlete 
I'd won one of my city's top 20 under 30 awards, been a touring drummer, been all these glitzy, glammy things, had four houses, and it was all gone within five days. All within five days, couldn't walk and just scramble to avoid double bankruptcy. So I moved back with my parents for full-time care and had my mom not paid my mortgage for me for two months in a row, I would have gone double bankrupt. So a very painful time, an incredible lesson in how to deal with recession and downturn and heartbreak and disappointment all rolled into one. And out of that, I learned some incredible lessons around dealing with the personal side of hard times, realizing what my true number one asset was, which perhaps we'll get into that. Secondly, I developed some clear tools, how to manage that both, yes, internal tools, but also external tools. Like, you know, what do I got to do to manage the tough times? And out of that, I also, I think I came to define what I believe to be a healthy business. What are the signs of a business that is healthy, irrespective of the economy? And, you know, through the ashes of one, you know, year, like, you know, once you go through the the death of winter, there is the spring that's right around the corner. I actually think that despite the fact I am experiencing some pain right now, and a lot of entrepreneurs are, I myself, my rent rate fell by $585,000 last year. Despite feeling that, I'm actually incredibly positive and optimistic because you know, the economy runs in seven to 10 year cycles and the pain we're going through right now is actually just the opportunity to create the business of the next decade. And I think that's so exciting. It's so, so, so exciting. So that's how I arrived at where I am today. I just wanted to interject here for listeners, do not shy away from someone that has faced bankruptcy or filed bankruptcy or been sued or foreclosed or whatever. I've gone through pretty much all those things myself. And people I knew came to me for advice when they had similar trouble down the line. So I consider the best people to learn from is the people that have had tough experiences and are still here to to tell the tale. So anyone listening, I mean, not only, first of all, have I been the beneficiary of Tim's financial genius, I'll call it. He saved me millions, literally, of dollars, probably helped keep my company afloat, you know, right during the beginning of COVID when it otherwise might not have been. But he's been through the ringer. And that's a positive thing. So I just want listeners to take note of that and don't turn off because someone's had troubles. That's exactly who you want to learn from. So go ahead, Tim. Certainly is interesting. Some of the lessons I learned about cash flow, I don't know if I've got a hard head or what, but it's like I had to hear it seven times before I heard it the first time. And, and honestly, you know, some of the lessons I learned around cash flow to, to avoid bankruptcy and whatnot, I'd read about it in a book like seven years earlier. But it took going through it in person to finally get the lesson and can only hope that everybody listening to this is a little smarter than I was because, geez, it sure took tough experience to learn. So hopefully whatever we share today can help you so that you don't have to go, you know, have this near brush with death and instead you can take early and decisive action to set yourself up to not just survive through the the economic winter here, but to actually thrive and hit the ground running. Because here's the here's the fact of the matter. A lot of the greatest businesses we, we admire these days were born in hard times. You think about businesses like Airbnb, Fiverr, Amazon, Netflix. These are all businesses that were built in tough times. And we have such a sparkling opportunity right here this year, this month, this day to begin charting the business of the coming decade. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, 
We need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now back to the show. Well, can you just briefly go over Great Assistant and what it does and then Profit Factory? And then I promise listeners, very shortly after that, we're going to get into tools and tips to help you survive recession. So the number one asset any entrepreneur has is not the money in the bank, is not their team, is not their product, is not their family. I'd even be so bold to say it's not even their faith. It's themselves. That is the number one asset because if your business goes away, but you still got yourself, you can still come back. You could resuscitate the business. You could start a different business. You could go a different direction. You still got yourself. On the other hand, if you go away, your business probably is not going to continue. You are the source. And we need to do whatever we have to, to ensure that you as the entrepreneur are able to stay in the game. Maybe you take a few hits. Maybe you're a little bloody. Maybe you're a little weary. But as long as you can stay in the game, things will be okay. You know, this too shall pass as the, as the famous quote goes. So a huge part of that is making sure we don't burn out. And, you know, a huge part of not burning out is not trying to do everything ourselves. I had failed five times in a row in getting an assistant. And I very quickly realized that like a person who gets divorced five times, I probably had something to do with it, right? And, and part of what I realized is that I was failing in two critical areas. The first was who I was hiring and how I was hiring them. So I was just hiring the first person that I would meet. I was no work tests, no interviews. Like it was just a real gong show. But then I realized that, you know, kind of like we can hop on one leg, but you don't get very far or very fast in order to have a lot of stamina. We need that second leg. And if you got a second leg, now you can walk, you can run. Some people even run marathons. So what is that second leg when it comes to getting our time back? That's us being a great leader, us being a great leader us knowing what to delegate, how to delegate, meeting with our assistant regularly, onboarding effectively, et cetera, et cetera. And with those two pieces in place, the right kind of assistant who's hired well, and then us being a great leader, oh my goodness, it is just unbelievable what is possible. From me deciding that amateur hour is over and I am not going to try and hire for 10 bucks an hour overseas or something like that. And, and I'm no longer going to avoid being a leader, but I'm actually going to go head, head first into it. My life is completely changed in the most exciting ways. So I got my first ever North American assistant. I made only $39,000 the year before hiring her. In the one year after hiring her, I made $107,000. So I tripled my income in one year, which was mind-blowing to me. Even better is the stress on me and the time that I had to put into all the mundane tasks probably reduced by 70 or 80%. She and I tested our teamwork one particular week when I went away to Jamaica. And we wanted to see if I could go away for eight days, not check email, no text messages, nothing, and if the business could still run. Now, I'm going to admit I did cheat. I was too freaked out. And so on day four from the hotel resort, I snuck onto my phone, turned it on to see if there are any text messages. And incredibly, there were none. So I thought, oh, okay. All right. Beginner's luck, probably beginner's luck. Another four days go by. I'm back at the airport in Negril, Jamaica, getting ready to fly back to my home city. I turn on my phone again, and there's still no bad news. I was stunned. I was wondering, have I actually figured this out? But then it hit me. I'm probably going to get home. 
open up my laptop. I'm going to see that Gmail progress bar loading and I'm going to get hammered with like five to 600 welcome home emails and I'm going to regret this whole trip. So I thought, well, enjoy the last few hours on the plane of peace. I flew home, cracked open the laptop, opened up the email. Incredibly, there were only 18 emails there that I had to deal with. In two hours, I'd responded to all of them. The business ran without me being there. It was life-changing and it was in that moment that I cracked the code. So the first unlock was getting a great assistant. And the second unlock was handing off my email inbox. Those two things back to back completely catapulted my productivity, allowed me to work in my uh, on my business far more. It led to me building my whole second company. It got me to a point where I was invited to be a guest lecturer at NYU Stern in New York City. Just recently, I actually also spoke at University of Texas. And then my company is also, I and my company were featured in the websites of Inc. and Forbes. So really incredible to see all of that happen. And it came because I myself put myself as my number one asset, got my time back and got my time back, not just by knowing what to do, but reimagining who is actually doing the work, in this case, an executive assistant. So obviously with me having such success with getting assistance, I had many entrepreneur friends say, hey, can you do that for me? So I helped them. And what was one assistant for me, turned into a dozen assistants for my friends. And before I knew it, we'd helped over 500 entrepreneurs. And some of our entrepreneur clients have multiple assistants from us. In fact, we have two clients who now have hired seven assistants from us because they've gotten some for themselves. They're head of sales, they're head of operations, their assistant has an assistant, and everybody just gets to grow in the in the organization. So that's kind of the genesis of that. And you know, at the end of the day, it's not really about getting an assistant. It's more so about getting our time back, but more so than getting our time back, It's about having the freedom to focus on what matters most. And when I look in the eyes of an entrepreneur who doesn't have to manage their email inbox and I see their shoulders are relaxed, they're happy, they're able to think again, that psychic load has been lifted. It's truly, truly, truly life-changing. And I I hear about it, how they're more present for their kids and their spouses and can finally take a vacation. It's, you know, it's, it's everything that they dreamed about as an entrepreneur when they decided to to strike out on their own and be self-employed or, or, or to build a business. So that's the overview of great assistant. Yeah. Quick question here. So what are a couple of things that entrepreneurs should look for that will tell them, hey, you might want to think about getting an assistant? And what are a couple of things where they may not be ready at this time? If an entrepreneur cannot see the proper arbitrage, like the right trade, how to put a dollar into getting an assistant, but get $2 back by being able to take on more clients, then I, then I wouldn't do it. One of the first things I'm thinking about when an entrepreneur asks me, should I get an assistant is, well, do you have enough leads and or revenue? Or if a company's venture back, do you have enough venture money coming in that you know this assistant is going to be a profitable investment? So an error that I made years ago was I used to think that an assistant was an expense. And if we were to strictly think from an accounting perspective, why yes, an assistant is an expense, it's labor inside of your business. However, that's not very productive because at the end of the day, it's not about optimizing for least labor. It's about optimizing for me having the best experience and the freedom to be able to build a business and the the life that I love. So it dawned on me one day that although my assistant might be an expense, my relationship with my assistant needed to be the profit center. So great, if I don't have to send invoices to customers anymore, if I don't have to handle travel planning, if I don't have to handle my email inbox, if I don't have to to handle a calendar, if I don't have to handle social media marketing, if, if I can hand off a number of these tasks to other people, do I have enough other opportunity 
now that my time has been freed up 15, 20, 25 hours a week, can I go and close more deals because I know where to network or I know what content to create or I know how to do advertising, whatever those lead generation sources are. And then secondly, if I'm an attorney or someone who provides a service, you know, now that I've got the new bandwidth, can I take on more clients? Now, obviously, if I can charge three, four, five hundred dollars an hour as an attorney, it's super easy for me to justify spending you know, $300 a week on an assistant or $500 a week on an assistant because I'm easily making that back with just a couple hours of extra client work. So I think that that's kind of, you know, one of the big kind of forks in the road is, is there a positive ROI on my time if I get an assistant? So I think that that's there. I think it's very common to see if an entrepreneur has like more than 5,000 unread emails, that might be a sign. I think if an entrepreneur is feeling exhausted and unable to really keep up, like the to-do list just never gets done, that's a third sign. So I think those are some things to look for. Yeah, and just one last comment on it is, for me, it prevents deaths by a thousand annoyances. Oh, this bill came in that was supposed to be paid. Ugh. Oh, I need to make a call to this entity. Oh, I haven't heard back from so-and-so. All those things I have my assistants work on, and it frees me up mentally to work on more important stuff. Otherwise, I never would. I would just be bogged down in all this minutia that just wastes time and brings in no revenue and helps nothing. It totally kills the spirit, doesn't it? When you're looking at it, it's like, oh, I've got this $200 late filing fee. Well, why did that happen? Well, it's because my bookkeeper didn't have the bank statements. Why did my bookkeeper not have the bank statements? Because... I didn't get them to them. Why didn't I get them to them? Because I forgot, right? It's just this like, you know, you woke up in the morning full of hope thinking like, oh my God, I'm going to close this deal. I'm going to work on this cool project. And then now you spend 11 hours downloading bank statements and dealing with, you know, some garbage that you never wanted to deal with in the first place. And you go to bed, you feel like you got nothing done. Like how many soul crushing days like that in a row can we tolerate? It's just absolutely, it's so disheartening. So to get that, that sense of satisfaction and happiness and progress. I think a lot of people think about the time that they get back before they get an assistant. That's where their head's at. After they get an assistant, I think what a lot of entrepreneurs actually value even more than the time they get back is the psychic load and the sense of freedom that they get. It's like, oh my God, this is why I became an entrepreneur. I don't know if this is a good or a bad idea, but if a business owner right now is experiencing recession in their business, should they consider an assistant or no? I know it's not a just yes, no, but what, what are your thoughts around? So when a recession hits, there's really three things I think needs to happen. And actually, I'll say a recession or any kind of financial hard times. Like sometimes a financial hard time is caused by a recession, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's caused because business owner goes through a divorce or maybe they have a loss of a, an important key employee or a key salesperson, something like that. So if there's ever a cash crunch and we need to navigate that, the very first thing is always, what is my own wellness? Do I need to book some sessions with my psychologist? Should I drink less? Should I go to bed earlier? Do I need to exercise more? Go for a walk? And then from there, whatever collection of habits and structures we need, we need to go into place. So maybe you've got a gym membership, but you never go because you don't have a workout buddy. Great. Find a workout buddy, you know, or you need a fitness class or whatever, but build in a winning environment around you that your own personal well-being is going to be protected enough. Like we don't need spa days, seven days a week or anything like that, but we need you to have enough sleep, good enough food, few enough intoxicants that you can be that high performance entrepreneur that's needed in this moment of need. So that's the very first thing. The very next thing I'm doing in a moment of crisis is I'm cutting expenses. 
Now, this is not saying that all expenses are bad. Oftentimes, an expense can be thought of as an expense or an investment. Like, it would be crazy to stop paying rent on your own home or your mortgage because you'd have nowhere to live. So it's not that expenses are all bad, but I'm taking a look at, you know, what is the, on a personal level, what is that expense that I just don't need? Like, if I never log into Paramount Plus, I'm getting rid of that. From a business perspective, what expenses are there software tools? Are there memberships that I just am not using? Be, cut early, cut fast. Rich did a great job of this. He's done this a few times now in our in our kind of private coaching together. And you'd be amazed if something is even just $100 a month, that's $1,200 per year. And if your company's profit margin is 10%, that means you have to sell 10 to keep one. Or if you cut a dollar of expense, you also get to keep one. So there's actually like a multiplier. $1,200 of expenses per year that you could cut is like selling $12,000. Now, here's the difference. If you had to sell $12,000, that might take weeks to generate that customer, sell them, produce the work for them, send them a bill, and then you get paid. Whereas how long does it take to cut 100 bucks a month? Like seven minutes? Log in your online banking, look at your most recent statement. Oh, I haven't used that software tool in like you know three months. Let's cut it. Just like that. Way easier than going out and selling 12 grand, right? So that's the second thing. The third thing I'm doing is a cash flow forecast. A cash flow forecast allows us to literally see the future of our business. It's a, there's a spreadsheet. If anybody's interested in getting it, they can email us support at profitfactory.com. Just put cash flow forecast in the subject line and we'll make sure that we get that sent over to you. The cash flow forecast is a stone simple little spreadsheet. You don't have to be a genius Excel to use it. You simply plug in a couple numbers of what the typical amount of cash inflow you've got coming each week, the cash outflow you've got going each week. And it will literally tell you with a red box or a green box where you're going to be in trouble financially and where you're going to be safe financially. Having that clarity, even if it's bad news, is better than no news. No news is good news is good in a good environment, but when we're in a bad environment, no news is the worst news. Instead of running and making decisions on emotions and opinions, we want to make decisions based on facts and figures. I want to know clearly in the next 13 weeks, where is my crisis line? Where do I need to be panicked or where can I relax and say, oh, you know what? Actually, I've got more runway than I was expecting. So those are the very first three things that I'm doing anytime that there's a tough time or anytime an entrepreneur asks me for help. I call that navigate the cash crunch. It's a, it's a great little three-step way to go. So it's just to re recap, it's protect yourself, health and wellness. Number two, cut expenses. Number three, cash flow forecast. Do those three things and that will create so much more breathing room for you to now be able to chart how you're actually going to now fix the situation. In uh, regards to the expense cutting, one more thing I noticed is um, I cut out X amount, you know, the beginning of the whole COVID situation. And then after a month or two, oh, actually, yeah, after like two, two and a half months, I started to build up a good amount of reserve money. And then I had the idea to go back to my vendors and say, hey, you know, we use you. What if I buy a year up front? What if I buy six months up front? And I got an additional 10 to 15% discount on, I would say probably 70% of our vendors doing that. And that helped free up even more cash. So that was my experience there. And then in regards to the cash flow calendar, I didn't want to do it because it's like stepping on the scale or going to the doctor. I don't want to know, but you have to know. But once you use it and you get into it, it becomes less scary because you see, uh-oh, I'm going to be down to zero this week. Okay, can I shift this bill, can I pay part of it? Can I just pay this a few days later by calling the vendor? What can I do 
to smooth out the calendar so I don't I don't have any moments where I go into the red or I get close to death. So those are like two things in my personal experience that I, I experienced going through them. Absolutely brilliant. And in any negotiation, there's always two things we can negotiate. There's price and there's terms. If, you know, whichever party needs the money sooner, typically can't ask for their price because they're asking for their terms. If, if I need the cash, if, you know, if, if I'm selling something and I need the cash today, you know, I'm asking for my terms. I want the cash today. I probably can't be too bullish about the price. And so something brilliant that Rich did was he actually used both strategies, just one after the other. So the first thing he did was cut expenses. So that allowed him to build up cash reserves. And so now, so then in phase two, once he had all this cash, now he was cool to prepay and be the guy who was actually paying early on everything, which then gave him incredible terms. And so if you look at Rich's financials from when he initiated that strategy to when he ended that strategy, like he said, he he got like a 15 to 20% break from like 70% of his vendors. His margins went up by five, 6% to the bottom line, which is absolutely incredible on every single one of those expense categories. So, you know, understanding how to pull levers inside of a business that are not just how do I generate more revenue is an incredibly important step for an entrepreneur to take. You know, business 101 is like get customers. 201 is like, you know, customers and get paid. 301 is like cut some expenses along the way. 401 is how do we make sure that we have like enough margin? And once we can move and graduate through those levels, we start being ready to take a look at like, what are like the 13 levers that we can use to manipulate our business so that we are in a safe and thriving position. And that's very much where my second company came from, a company called Profit Factory. A lot of the financial tools I've mentioned here today and that we have available are through our Profit Factory programs. And so, you know, it, I would say that the the best person to, to, to participate in Profit Factory programs is like, you know, probably someone who's at least three, four hundred thousand dollars a year in revenue. So you've figured out enough around marketing, enough around sales, so that you've got some kind of traction. And now you want to graduate from just making money to actually keeping it, not just generating revenue and customers, but doing so profitably with a way with a, a bank account that keeps getting bigger and bigger. It seems like the psychology of of what's going on is incredibly important. The psychology in the entrepreneur's mind. So like if, if someone out there is listening and they're just terrified that everything's going to fall apart or they're just concerned, it's eating away at them. And every night they lay in bed and they're like, I hope it'll be okay. I hope it'll be okay. What do I do? You know, what's one way for, um, I think you mentioned an ABC method to me, you know, um, something bad and catastrophic. I forget what the, the A was, but what's like a, a quick heuristic or guideline that people can use to evaluate what they should do in a calm way without freaking out? Yeah, when times are tough and when money is getting very, very tight, the room is spinning. It's not a good feeling. We got to find a way to put our foot on the ground, stop the room from spinning. And even if it, if the room is dark or the situation seems uncomfortable, at least the room's not spinning. So that cash flow forecast is an unbelievably liberating tool. Again, you can get that by just emailing us support at profitfactory.com, put cash flow forecast in the subject line. And when once you've got that built and it should only take you maybe 20 to 30 minutes to use the tool that will immediately stop the room from spinning and that will give you a grounded sense of like okay where am i now where is my crisis line how long do i have before i'm actually in trouble 
facts and figures create clarity and calm so we can now move from our amygdala in our brain to our frontal cortex and we can get back into being creative. The human brain cannot be in the amygdala, fight, flight, freeze, and executive thinking in the frontal lobe at the same time. It's one or the other. If I'm getting chased by a grizzly bear, I'm not thinking about what I'm eating for dinner that night or how I got myself into that situation. I am just trying to survive. So we have to get ourselves out of the fight or flight and into a much more productive mindset. That's why I said, you know, taking care of yourself, cut down the booze, increase the exercise, meditate if you need to, whatever that looks like. That plus a cash flow forecast that gets your head in the right place and that gets your your business in, it, let's say, the situation of your business in a really clear way. So once you've got that in place, now an ABC plan makes a ton of sense. If I'm unsure which way the economy is going to go, I can simply define three paths. A is as is, B is bad, C is catastrophe. So A is, hey, you know what? If the recession never does really hit us and we just continue as is, what does that look like? My cash flow forecast will tell me. If I then say, okay, bad is I lose 25% of my revenue for the next 90 days, then you just adjust the little spreadsheet to take the revenue down by 25%. And then you just watch what happens on the spreadsheet. You know, do some green boxes become red? Do some, you know, are there more red boxes than green boxes at different times? And then from there, you can say, okay, great. If that happens, what are some strategies that I can put in place? Rich talked about some of them. Can I pay a little bit slower? Can I split pay on something? Can I, do I need to borrow some money? Like what needs to happen so that I can now solve for that be bad plan? And then from there in the same exact spreadsheet, you could say, what's catastrophe? Maybe catastrophe is only 50% of the revenue. Maybe you lose 50% of your revenue for the next three months. Great. Punch that in the spreadsheet. Run that, you know, just a couple quick boxes need to change and you'll see at the bottom what's green, what's red. And at that point you could say, okay, great. What would I have to do if this were to happen to my revenue? What would I have to do to turn all these boxes back to green? And again, maybe it's loans, maybe it's delaying payments, maybe it's Maybe it's not opening up that next location and delaying for six months to do that. Maybe it's not buying as much inventory. Maybe it's not hiring that next teammate, you know, because, you know, we just don't know if we'd be able to keep them. So that, again, like we got to get out of our heads. We got to get out of our emotions. Emotions are a wonderful thing. It's what makes life beautiful. Movies make us cry. Beautiful theater on Broadway, New York City, whatever the case may be. I'll, I'll tell you that the heat of the moment is the worst moment to be making a critical decision. And so the sooner that we can get some of these tools and perspectives in place, just the better our life is going to go. And yes, it absolutely affects all the people around us. When we're entrepreneurs, we're the hub of a big wheel, like an old school, like Western wagon wheel. And if we're in a bad mood or we're surly or we're stressed out, trust me, the whole team feels it. Your whole family feels it. Your, your dog at home will feel it. We got to get you back into being the most resourceful person because you are the one who's going to be at the source of bringing this thing back and not just surviving, but thriving as you build the business of the coming decade. Yeah. A couple more things come to mind uh, that I've tried is um, if if in your business, you have a very large expense that occurs you know, once or twice a year, typical behavior is ignore it. And then when it comes oh no, and how do we handle this? Um, but what I've done is I've I, I've instilled the discipline of let's say I have to pay I don't know thirty thousand for something you know taxes whatever it may be if I put a little bit in each week how much do I have to put in each week so I can hit that number without ruining anything without breaking my stride without freaking myself out so for some things I've I've seen okay every year if I do five hundred dollars a week towards X expense it's not going to clobber me at the end of the year 
or mid-year. That's one thing I've seen that helps. Um, the other one is if, if you're really in dire straits and you've got to pay a certain vendor, perhaps you could ask them, like, listen, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, I, I really can only pay you maybe 10 or 20% of what I have to give you for the next month. But after that, I can get back on track. I can give you something instead of nothing. Will you work with me? And that might get you through maybe a temporary crunch uh, where you can maybe add a little bit to the payments after that and catch up. So those are just two other ideas that I've run across and implemented that that may help. I love that. And speaking up early and speaking up often makes a world of difference. Trying to call someone who you've ignored for six months is not going to go well. On the other hand, if you know that you've got tough times coming up in six weeks from now because your cash flow forecast tells you so, to call that vendor ahead of time and say, hey, changing the economy, my business model is taking a big hit. Um, coming down the pipe, I, I have a very strong suspicion that I am not going to be able to fulfill my financial obligations to you as originally designed. I don't want to walk away. I don't want to hide. I don't want to you know, stiff you in any way. Um, I'm wondering if we can co-create a new path so that I can make sure that I'm paying you and I'm making you whole because, you know, this recession will come and go, but what I hope will endure forever is our working relationship. And I really want to protect the relationship, even if we have to go about making payments in a different way. Can you work with me on that? And I think you'll find the vast majority of people that you approach with that kind of proactive kind of you somewhat vulnerable, you know, just say, hey, this is not going the way I thought it would. The, I think you'll be astounded how many people say, okay, sure, let's have a chat. And at minimum, they'll entertain it because at the end of the day, if you can't pay, you're not going to pay them if you can't pay. So they're going to do their best to get whatever they can in whatever way is possible um, until you can get back on track. Yeah. And I've noticed there will be a few sticklers that'll just say no. Yep. So you're going to yep. expect that. But the vast majority will do something for you. Some you'll it will really surprise you. But don't be don't think like just because one or two vendors is like, no, you gotta pay, that's it. Um, that you're doomed or the effort's not gonna work. Yeah. Totally agree. Okay. Um just a couple of last things, Tim. So what what have you seen that um, entrepreneurs do in the face of financial trouble that is the wrong thing to do? Like one common thing I hear is oh, I just gotta sell more. So what are what are a few things that you've heard or seen that doesn't help, but the person thinks it will. Avoiding is probably far and away the number one, like just being in denial, like, oh, no, I don't really need a cash flow forecast. Or, oh, no, you know, whatever, it'll just go away. Or, oh, tomorrow's a better day or next week's a new week. Or just being avoidant is honestly like one of the biggest problems. I mean, anywhere in our life, if things are not going the way that we were hoping. Um, so I think that's the first thing. The second thing is, Oftentimes, to make it to a six-figure business, we do rely so heavily on marketing and sales. And because we've had that conditioning, we believe that you know when we've got a hammer in our hand, that everything looks like a nail. And so we just try and market and sell our way out of everything. It, far too often, marketing and selling ends up just kicking the can down the road. So for example, let's say that you're selling something, but the expenses that you have to incur to fulfill are more than what you're making in revenue. Well, if I'm selling $100, but it's costing me $120 in products and services to fulfill, I'm actually losing $20 every time I sell that. 
So does it make sense to double down and sell, you know, twice as much? Absolutely not. My demise is just going to come twice as fast. Likewise, maybe I have, you know, good revenue and good, you know, margins. So I actually, you know, I sell for a hundred and it costs me 80. So I keep 20. That would be a great equation. However, I'm not collecting fast enough. One of the fastest ways to put more cash in the bank, if you are struggling financially, is just to look at who owes you money. Where have you already sold the thing? You've already fulfilled or produced the thing, and now you just got to get paid. Uh, we had a, a student in one of our group coaching programs for Profit Factory, and he added $140,000 in new cash within the f- uh, five weeks of being in our program. What did he do? He simply looked at who owed him money, and he realized that there's this one guy who was slow walking him week in and week out. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Next week, next week, next week, next week, next week. Yeah. Well, that slow walk had been happening for like four months, you know, next week, next week, next week for four months. So I said to our student, he's an entrepreneur, um, I said, you know, how much longer are you willing to tolerate this? And he said, well, yeah, geez, I, I really don't know. I would really not tolerate it anymore at all. And I said, okay, well, how much of a distraction is it? How much of your time is it taking up? And in the end, you know, we determined that him just calling that client and saying, look, if you pay me by Friday, I'm going to give you a 20% discount. This is a one-time offer. And if you can find a way to come up with the funds, you can save yourself a big chunk of change. Miraculously, the client did. My student gets paid 140 grand and all of a sudden he's got this flood of new cash. So I think collections is such an amazing opportunity. And if you want that cash now, consider even giving a deal to whoever owes you money if they'll settle up with you by the end of the week. So I think avoiding, I think assuming selling is the solution for everything all the time is is a mistake. In the short term, oftentimes cutting expenses, which doesn't necessarily mean cutting everything. I mean, I've told my team, if we hit really hard times, I'm firing everyone but my assistant. Why is that? Because my assistant multiplies me and I am the number one asset and it is my responsibility to bring this business back into health and profitability. I can't do that job if I'm too busy answering my email all day, doing my own calendar, dealing with invoicing, all of that minutiae. I cannot be doing it because I have to save this business. So you know, some expenses are okay. They're great investments because they're multipliers. So I wouldn't chop all expenses. I would just be very thoughtful about it. And I would also look at the non-revenue ways to boost the bank account, including collections. Yeah, and one last item on collections. Uh, Don't be like that guy in the Bible that got forgiveness and then was vicious with someone that owed him money. So some of these, you know, some of the the vendors you do have to, or some of your receivables, you do have to push on them. But you could use some of the same tactics. Hey, Bob, you have three months left on your contract. You owe us 3,000. If you can do 2,500 now, not only would you not have to pay for the next X number of months, but it would help me out. Can you do that? You know, can you pay something this week if the person just can or won't pay anything? So I, I would say trying to work with your vendors in the exact same way as you want them to work with you or people that owe you money. Absolutely true. And like I said, kind of in a little bit of a role play a few minutes ago, look, these hard times, they will go. Like, you know, this too shall pass. What, what will not go away though is people's memory of the relationship. If you're going to screw someone right now, I can promise you that that relationship is torched for when the times are good. So protect the relationships of those around you because you will never get anywhere in this life as a, as a pure solo person. That does not happen, especially not in the world of business. 
I'll wrap just by saying that a mentor of mine who sold his company for $114 million, I had lunch with him one day and he said, Tim, anything you want in this life, personally or professionally, will come through other people. And I've always remembered that. Whether you want investors or customers or vendors or staff or advisors, these are all other people. So make no mistake, you are in the relationship game and you are in the making and keeping promises game and where you can't keep your promises, honoring the relationship means honoring the agreement means renegotiating the agreement if necessary and do that well. And I think you'll be very proud of where you land on the other side of this recession. Excellent. I know you have to go. So what are some resources or URLs for listeners? Anybody who is interested in learning more about what we're up to, I have three different links. If someone is interested in getting an assistant or at least exploring it, you can head to greatassistant.com forward slash FGP. So that's F like Foxtrot, G like golf, P like Papa. If you're interested in studying with us through Profit Factory, you can go to buildyourprofitfactory.com forward slash FGP. And if you'd like to follow along on my entrepreneurial journey towards becoming a top 1% entrepreneur, you can head to youtube.com forward slash at Real Tim Francis. Thank you very much for having me today, Rich. Appreciate it as always. Yeah, thank you, Tim. It's always great to speak to you. Take care for now. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.